This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome to Betting Weekly, the tennis podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers, your hometown sportsbook. I'm Rory Jawani, and for the next half an hour or so, I'll be talking all things tennis with former world number four and Miami Open tournament director, James Blake. James, how are you today? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me again. No problem. No problem at all. One place to start, and that's Rome, where we've seen more than our fair share of shocks. The latest came earlier today, although perhaps it wasn't that much of an upset. You can tell me, James. World number one, Novak Djokovic going out in three sets to Holger Rune of Denmark. James, what did you make of that match and Djokovic's form in, in general, his first tournament back after an injury break? Yeah, I'd seen some of the earlier matches. I have to confess, I didn't see today's match. I was uh, knee-deep in um, softball practice with my daughter before school because she's gotten obsessed with it. So I didn't get a chance to watch it. I'll, I'll watch it on, on tape a little later. But, um, you know, it's it's surprising because I felt like the matches I'd seen of Djokovic earlier in the week were kind of ramping up. He was getting better. Um, you know, some of the third the third set early uh, early on in in, uh, in the tournament, and then uh, the way he was playing against Cam Nori looked like he was just continuing to improve and being a little closer to the Novak we we've expected. Um, but Runa is a guy that's not scared of anyone, uh, not scared of any situation. He's extremely talented. He's young. He's um, he's got tons of confidence right now. So. It's not entirely shocking for me uh, going into the French Open. I was looking forward to possibly seeing Novak continue to get better and improve and be um, really the favorite uh, um, going in with with Rafa Nadal um, not being healthy, possibly. So uh, I was looking forward to that. But now you got uh, some some question marks, which is uh, also fun with Alcaraz going out early, with Novak now going out and um, not entirely looking as dominant as he has in the past. So um it's gonna be fun a little more open uh Roland Garros than probably we've seen in the last 15 years since uh it's always been just Rafa and um so it, it's interesting and you know Runa has got to be thrown in the mix now as someone that you know had a great uh showing last year um whether he can get over that hurdle in a in a grand slam it's still so early in his career uh to see how he plays in some of those really big matches he's obviously had success in in Paris before but just on the indoor uh indoor hard side as opposed to um on the clay so um i think he's got a chance uh, so it was a long long-winded answer of saying it was a surprise but not as big of a surprise because runa is a, an extremely talented young player yeah you mentioned alvarez and and that really was a shock going out yeah. to World number 135, he certainly won't be that at the end of this week, Farian Marajan from Hungary. I yeah. think one of the biggest shocks in, in recent tennis history, I'm not sure what price he was with Bet Rivers, but I found quotes of plus 2,000 about him winning the match, and he was plus 4,000 to win in straight sets. 
Alcaraz yeah. said afterwards he didn't know too much about him before the match. Can can you recall an upset as big as this one? Uh, not me. I mean, I remember Karlovich beating Hewitt uh, in the first round of Wimbledon when he was the defending champ. That was a big deal. Um, but um, you know, this is about as as big of an upset as you'll see when you got that big of a favorite that just it looks unstoppable. Um, the way Alcaraz had the last couple of weeks. Um, so that's huge. And it, it wasn't like someone was even changing um, surfaces where you're going from clay to grass. You might get a, an upset. Someone coming from from clay to hard or hard to clay, you might get, OK, they're just adjusting to the surface. But this one was um, was kind of out of out of nowhere. <laughs> um, very surprising. I hope someone took those plus 2000 odds and and um, and ran away with a with a huge profit. But um, I, I certainly wouldn't have put down any of my money on that. Um, because that's um that I, I I didn't know anything about like Alcaraz said he didn't know much about him I didn't know much about him um I learned this week just uh who he was uh, before this I I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to I wouldn't have been able to tell you who he was or pick him out of a lineup so I'm uh I was extremely impressed with what I did see from him and I hope we see more of him and we'll all get to know that name maybe it becomes a household name but for right now it was uh it was a huge huge upset it was I mean I think this was his first atp tour main draw appearance he's been playing in challenger events before this and yeah. i mean it was it didn't look to be much i mean he's got a massive forehand that yeah. drop shot must be good if alcaraz can't get to it where's yeah. he been all this time that's what i want to know yeah it just makes you wonder you know you come in you expect someone coming into their first um first main draw match you're playing alcaraz to be all kind of overwhelmed with the situation, but you also look at it as maybe it was a blessing that he's playing someone like Alcaraz because, okay, there's zero pressure. You come into a, you come into a main draw match and maybe you're playing a guy ranked 80 in the world, 60 in the world, and you've seen them at challengers before. And you're not, you're, you're not thinking, you're thinking you have a chance and maybe that makes you more nervous. Maybe you go into this saying, you know what? I, I'm playing the number one player in the world. I'm not expected to win this. These guys just won two titles in a row. Let's go out and just rip and have fun. And at the end of the day, come back and talk to my coach and say, okay, now what do we do? Um, where do we go next? What challenger do we play next? And um, so you go in with absolutely no expectations. And maybe that was the best thing for him, that he went in there just playing with absolutely nothing to lose and um, and having a good time. And it was funny because I thought, okay, it's going to get close. He got close in the second set. Now we'll see. Now he's going to go back to being a challenger player. He's not going to be able to keep this up. And he did it. Um, so you got to give him a ton of credit because that's where there's – you think about the advantages and disadvantages of being number one in the world or being one of the top players is everyone knows your game. They all know the scouting report. They all know um, – they've prepared for you a lot more than you've prepared for them a lot of times. But the advantage that you do have sometimes is when it gets really close – you know, you've been in that situation a lot more times. That's what I always used to think when I was near the top of the game is, you know what, if it gets to four all in the third set, now is when I have my advantage because I know I, I've put in all the hard work. I know what to do in this situation. I feel confident. I feel comfortable. They're going to be more nervous than I am. And he didn't, he didn't look like he faltered at all there, which is incredible. That was, um that was a, a real, that was actually probably the most impressive thing for me was that it, it got close in that second set. And there was no um, no pullback in in uh, effort, no pullback in energy, no no seeming nerves out of uh, out of him at all. Yeah, I think he won. Was it five points in a row to win that second set tiebreak or something? It was just producing incredible winners. Yeah, yeah, that's that that to me is is really impressive and a good sign for him uh, in general for 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 his future. 
Yeah, he couldn't keep it going yesterday. He went out to Borna Chorich, but uh, no disgrace. Good effort. First set. Three, yeah, three sets against Chorich, who's a, a, a rock solid uh, competitor, a guy that that has you know had some unfortunate injuries, um, but uh, the talent is there and the the grit is there for sure from Chorich as well. A couple of other shocks to bring everyone up to date with. So Yannick Sinner went out to Argentina's Francisco Serendolo and. We're both old enough to remember some very fine Argentinian clay quarters. Looks like they might yeah. have unearthed another one here, perhaps. Yes, yeah, Rindolo is, um, you know, he's talented. He did well, actually. He came on, he burst on the scene for me uh, to start knowing him actually at the Miami Open uh, a year ago, um, having some success on hard courts. Um, big forehand, moves really well. Um, you know, it's tough to compare him to some of the uh, the, the Argentinian greats, uh, the Coreas, the Del Pochos, even the Canyas or the Chelas. Um or the Gaudios, but he's, um, I think he's kind of uh, he, that next level down that, that sort of um, next shelf, uh, however you want to put it, but he's, he's got a lot of talent. He's, he's, he's solid, but I don't see him having that upside of some of those other uh, bigger name Argentinians that, that we've seen in the past. Um, I think he, he can win a lot of these, a, a lot of matches against, against good players. I don't know if he could put it together to, to have um you know enduring success at a at a slam like the like uh, Roland Garros but um he can cause problems for for some top players um i see him as kind of getting to top 20 top 30 in the world for for a bit um but kind of living around that 30 to 40 range if i if i had to guess but i, I think he's um he's a, he's a really good player and like i said he can be tough for these top guys it was a bit of a surprise to me that sinner um wasn't able to to win that match because I do think the way he's playing lately um, and the confidence he has that he would have been able to get through that one. But I still like him as a, a now getting some rest and and being a, a real favorite for uh, going deep in in Roland Garros. We've got another German springing surprises. We, it was Jan Lederstroff in in Madrid, and and this time it's. It's Yannick Hanfman, who, again, yeah. a player I know very, very little about, but he came through qualifying, knocked out Taylor Fritz, and yesterday beat Andre Rublev. And he's also beat Marco, Marco Cecchinato, who's who's a former French Open semi-finalist. But what's going on? I mean, where are all these shock results coming from? So, yeah, I don't know. This one is much bigger surprise to me than Struff. Struff is a guy that uh, I could see that coming. I could see his big game being successful, and uh, and once he gets some confidence rolling... Um, but Hampman to me came out of nowhere. Um, uh, he's a, a solid player. He played in college in the States and, um, I've seen him around tour for years and thought, okay, he's a, you know, he's a, a good player, but, um, I would not expect him to beat Fritz. I would not, I mean, Fritz, it's okay. It's not as most comfortable being on the clay. Uh, but as much as well as he's been playing, um, that's a huge win. So, um, credit to Hampman. But I'm, uh, I'm, I will say I'm extremely surprised by that one. Um, I, you know, well done. I hope he continues and continues to do well. He's, he's always been a nice kid. Um, but uh, that was definitely, definitely pretty surprising to me, and much more so than Struve. So the rain has been a bit of a factor in Rome. It's, it's affecting proceedings today, and it, it certainly did yesterday. Yesterday, Stefano Sitsipas and Alexander Zverev both had to play twice. Sitsipas made it through, Zverev didn't. He fell to Daniel Medvedev. Looks like Runa and Sitsipas are certainly the bookies' favourites now, but this looks very, very open. Who who do you fancy now to, to win Rome? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do like Sitsipas. Um, he's quietly gone through this year. I mean, I think a lot of people, if you just if you just kind of um, surveyed, say, you know, how do you think Sitsipas has done this year? They'd probably say, ah, you know, he hasn't been doing that well. And you'd, you'd look back and he's four in the race. Um, the guy's quietly um, staying at the top of the game. And it, it's becoming expected that he's in semis, he's in finals, he's, he's late in tournaments, quarters of, of Masters uh, 1000. So I think um, it may be good for him that there isn't, there hasn't been as much talk about him breaking through right now because of, there's so much now on, on Alcaraz. Um, so maybe now Alcaraz is out, Djokovic is out. Now it's time, okay, um, Sitsipas has proven he's one of, if not the best of, the ones outside the big three and now maybe throwing Alcaraz in there. He's, he's one of the best outside of that. So now he's got an opportunity to prove it here in Rome without um, Roger, Rafa, Novak or Alcaraz um, in the field. So um, I, I like his chances and I think he would send a pretty clear message if he were to win Rome, uh, which has been absolutely dominated by Novak and Rafa over the last 15, 20 years, um, winning Rome, uh, going into the French open and, and really declaring himself, um, as one of the pre-tournament favorites. He would, but I, I mean, you've still got someone like, I don't know, Kaspar Ruud still in the field for Rome, and then he would have to be on the short list. For, I mean, Roland Garros, for the men at least, he's looking very, very open, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I thought Novak was going to really ramp up and become a, a, a pretty big favorite um, and have that kind of two-man race between Novak and Alcaraz. Um, but the way this week has gone and seeing how Novak is coming back from injury, it's much more open. And um, we'll see if the fans, I mean, for me, that's more fun. I like seeing that. I like um, the fact that, that, you know, now I would say there's eight to 10 guys maybe that could win it. And for the past 20 years in, in men's tennis, we've very often had that list of four. You know, there's there's four guys maybe that can win it. Maybe you got an outside shot of five or six, you know, maybe team winning one here and there. But um, for the most part, it was it was just really dominated by by those four. And now you've got uh, I mean, you've got a list of, OK, is Rafa going to be healthy? You've got Novak. Is he going to be healthy? And then Alcaraz, of course. But then there's still Sinner, Sitsipas, Runa, Rude, um, I wouldn't put any of the Americans really in that, <laughs> unfortunately, but um, you've got, you've got plenty of opportunity for, for other players. Uh, Zverev, is he going to, you know, kind of get his, get his rhythm back and be able to be okay after the injury um, last year. So you've got a lot of, a lot of options, a lot of opportunities uh, for people that could win it. And that's fun um, because you want to see who's going to step up and Casper Ruud hasn't had a great season to date, but he's put it, he's starting to put it together now when it's probably his most important time getting into the, the heart of the clay court season, the Rome and and Roland Garros for him. So um, can he put it together and have a really deep run here in Rome and then uh, get back to the French open where he had so much success last year and take one step further now, if he's, if he isn't facing the King of clay in the, in the finals and, um, and, and win a grand slam would be some story. One player who won't be at Roland Garros is Nick Kyrgios, as uh, he yeah. continues to be sidelined with a knee problem. He's been out since last October. Hopefully, he'll be back for Wimbledon, reach the final last year, of course. Lots of people have plenty to say about the Australian and his yeah. attitude to the game, shall we say. Assuming he recovers fully from this injury, and, and, and hopefully he does, do you think he's a slam winner in waiting? And and also, what are your views on his kind of personality? Do you think he he's good for the game? 
Um, well, I'll start there. I'll start there with a good for the game. I, I think he's good for the game because he's being himself. I think I always like people being themselves out on court, whether that's extremely um, plain and not saying much. And, you know, that's the way they, they are. That's the way they are on and off the court. That's what they should be. And for him, he's obviously um, pretty volatile, you know, up and down with his emotions. He wears it on his sleeve and, you know, we get to see that we get a little bit of a window into his personality. Um, and so I think that is good for the game. I think, of course, someone like that is going to push the boundaries. And there are times when he needs to be called out, when he needs to, when he goes over the line. Last year at Wimbledon, spitting towards a um, a fan, absolutely over the line, absolutely needs to be reprimanded, needs to be uh, fined, punished, whatever. Um, so I do think there's there's gonna, but anyone that's that's that volatile is gonna is gonna go over the line at some point. So. Um, I think hopefully he, uh, he he feels remorse. I do think he does when he when he does something that he he feels like he he shouldn't have done. Um, and then there's the question of do I think he's going to be a slam champion? And that's one that similar to his personality, I've gone way up and down on. Uh, when I when he first started, when I first saw him on tour, I said, man, this guy's going to win slams for sure. And then you see him, you see his lack of focus sometimes. You see his lack of ability to bounce back from, you know, one bad thing occurring on a, uh, during a, a match and three out of five sets, there's going to be ups and downs and okay, maybe he can't keep it together for three out of five sets for seven matches. And is his fitness going to be okay to keep it together for seven matches? So I was firmly in the camp of saying, no, he's not going to, he's not going to ever be a slam champion. Um, now I'm a little more on the fence. I would still, if, if, you know, I had to come up with an answer, I would say no right now, um, that he's not going to be a grand slam champion. Um, because I don't now it's because, uh, just the numbers, uh, how many more chances are going to have when he's playing at his best at his, at his peak level, peak fitness. Um, he's getting towards getting past that kind of prime of his career, getting towards the, the later stages of that career. Um, and I don't think he has a chance of, of winning Roland Garros. His game isn't, isn't suited as much for the play. So there's really three that he has a chance. Australia, there's tons of pressure on him there, um, playing in his home country, um, so I think his better chances are U.S. Open and um, and Wimbledon. And Wimbledon, the way Novak moves at Wimbledon, the way he plays right now, I think he's uh, a huge favorite for the next few years. Um, so if Novak's healthy, I just think that's that's the the hurdle that I think is going to be a little too great for him to get over. So then it comes down to the U.S. Open, and will he be able to put it together with all the distractions of New York, New York crowds um, for seven straight matches? I mean, I'm going to go with no. I would love to see it. Like, as like I said, I do think he's good for the game. I love his personality off the court. He is actually um, genuinely a very, very nice person. He gives to charity. He's very, very generous. So um, I would like to see him win one because I think it's good. But I, I, I'm i in the camp now just looking at looking at numbers, looking at stats, looking at how many chances he has and who else is standing in the way. I'm going to say no. Yeah, I think last year was the first year I haven't backed him for Wimbledon for about four years or something like that. Because I, I yeah. always felt Wimbledon would be his best chance because yeah. he serves so well and and those you know booming shots off both flanks. But but yeah, Novak in the final was just just one too one too far. Yeah, he's just too good right now. The way he's playing on grass, and I don't feel like anyone else has made it there their mission or been able to come close to the way Novak moves on the grass. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Let, let's move on to the women. More shocks in this one. Americans involved in plenty of them early on. You had 
Taylor Townsend beating Jessica Pegula and, and Sofia Kenning knocking out Madrid champion Arena Sabalenka. Both were unable to follow up those successes, which, you know, I know Nigel goes on about his auto fade. Someone has the best win they've had in a long time. And it's like you, you oppose them in the next match. And, and he was spot yeah. on there. Um, yeah. Townsend's an in- really interesting story. I mean, she she was a youngster. The USTA probably didn't back her when she was a youngster. And now she's a mom and, and, you know, she played some amazing tennis against Pegula. I mean, what, what can you tell us about Taylor Townsend? Yeah, it's a pretty unique game style uh, for the women right now. Um, I feel like she attacks so much more than than any of the other women. She's getting into net. She knows she's really good, especially as she's gotten later in her career, at knowing her strengths and weaknesses. And her strengths are clearly getting the net. She's got great hands. Um, she covers the net really well. Um, and she's just fearless. And uh, I love seeing that. And you're right. She was, she was number one, uh, junior and the USTA didn't back her as much as, uh, as she felt like she deserved. Um, and there's a great players tribune article that she wrote that, um, I implore everyone to read about, um, her struggles and what she's gone through, um, in her career. Uh, but she's just a really nice person. And, um, I, I love seeing that she's getting, she's having more success later in her career, um, when, like I said, she was the number one junior, so she's expected to have success right away. And it just, it rarely comes that easy. That's the one thing that's great about tennis is there's so many different paths to success for her. It didn't come easy at all, um, right at the start. Um, so she had some struggles. She had some downtimes, of course, having a baby, you know, that's going to change the arc of, of anyone's career, especially on the women's side, it's going to change, uh, change a lot. And you obviously have time off and, coming back, maybe a newfound perspective, a, a different opinion of, of life on tour and um, definitely a different set of logistics that you have to handle. So um, for her to come back, I, I mean, uh, I traveled with my daughter for the last couple of years of my career, last year, year and a half of my career, and it's it's not easy. And so now to do it as a mom, um, even more difficult. Um, so uh, I'm impressed that she's been able to do that and she's having success on the doubles court as well. And I do think that actually plays in sometimes to, to singles. Um, you get some success, you start winning matches, and it just starts kind of feeding that confidence that you're you're getting through matches and you're getting through tough times, um, you know, break points, uh, match points, set points. You're, you're getting through those and you're winning them. And it's going to carry over for her, a game that, that relies on confidence. And it's going to be tricky for a lot of top players. She beat Halep at the Open, then beating Pagula. You know, those are obviously rock-solid top-five-level players. Um and they're the, they're not going to enjoy seeing Taylor Townsend. She can she can she's the type that can um, then go and win that match and then lose the next one. And you think it almost looks like two different people, but it has a lot to do with her confidence. When she's playing well and matching up well against someone that can't um, kind of hit tons and tons of passing shots over and over and and keep her back, um, she's going to be a, a difficult matchup. Yeah, I think I, I saw that she. One of the players she looked up to was Martina Navratilova. And you can see yeah. the sort of, you know, lefty comes into mm-hmm. the net, volleys really well. And it's like, yeah. It's, and it's, as you said, it's very rare you get that sort of player now, especially on the women's side. And it's really nice to see. I, I thought it was, you know, I watched the highlights and thought, this is great to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it's, I mean, on the, on the men's side, it was, when I was playing, it was, it was Max Mirny was kind of like that. And yeah. I, I wait her to The to beast. That. <laughs> yeah, and and I'll, I'll be I'll be the first to admit I didn't like playing him. I didn't want to because <laughs> you're not going to get a lot of rhythm. He's going to do things that you're not used to doing. It's going to be a little bit unorthodox. And I feel like that's the way she is, especially. And then you add in the fact that she's a lefty, making it even trickier. Um, so I, I just I have a feeling there's a lot of top players out there that um, when they see her, 
um, they, they groan. And then when they see her right uh, on, the, on the, the line next to them in the draw sheet, because it's going to be a really tricky matchup. And even if you win, um, you're going to be made to work in a very different way than a very straightforward matchup. So um, she's a tricky out for, for just about anyone. Yeah, it hasn't really happened for the Americans in Rome, either the men's or the women's. I guess the biggest disappointment was was Coco Goff, who seemed to be in control against Marie Balskova and then lost in three sets. Is that a worry going into Roland Garros? Garros, I mean, she hasn't played that much clay court tennis this season, has she? Uh, that is a little bit of a worry for me. Um, I do think she she bounces back confidence-wise pretty quickly, but um, I think uh, winning in doubles, they're still in the doubles. I think that will help her a little bit just to get that similar to Taylor Towns and you get that confidence um, from winning matches. But I do think she's struggling a little bit right now with with that confidence on the singles court. And you see that when you're you're up and you start faltering and, and you don't you don't have that confidence to kind of keep the foot on the accelerator and keep going till through the uh, through the finish line. Um, and these women out there are just too good right now to, to, to ever let up. You can't let up for, you know, for just two or three games and then they're right back in it. Then they get confidence and then they feel good about the way they're playing. And, uh, and before you know it, you're in a, you're in an absolute dogfight. So I think for her, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. Cause I, I, I would really wanted to see her do well this clay court season, um, to really ramp up to the success she had at Roland Garros last year and take a little bit of a pressure off losing all those points possibly of, uh, of being finalist last year. Um, you want to kind of build up those points and show that you're playing well in the clay. Um, so that you, you hopefully feel, feel good going into Roland Garros and you don't feel like it's going to be such a hit to your ranking. And, I just wonder if it is something that's that's going through her mind about um, about the ranking points and what's gonna what could change if she doesn't have a great Roland Garros and um, you would have loved to have had the sort of the luxury of of a couple of good events on clay beforehand but now she doesn't have that luxury she's gonna have to rely she's got a great team she's got a great family um, on her on her parents being there and just kind of keeping her away from all that talk and all that noise of. Um, of a bad clay court season for her. I mean, what, what amounts to for, for someone of her level of the expectations of her um, really subpar uh, clay court season. And that can all change knowing that that can change with two weeks. Um, you have a great uh, Roland Garros and no one's going to remember how you did in Rome or, or, uh, or Madrid. They're going to talk about how well you did in Paris. So you still have that opportunity and kind of focusing on that as the positive, instead of focusing on, you know what, this could be, for her a really, really poor uh, clay court season where you looked at her as possibly being her best surface is clay. Um, that's, uh, that's something you hopefully don't want to avoid. And, and, and I would, if I was her and her team, I would just avoid even hearing or thinking about that and just worry about the positive of, of an opportunity now to still do great and show that you're going to consistently be one of the favorites at Roland Garros. And it wasn't just a one-time thing where you, you made the final there. Yeah, on that note, it's kind of, I was looking at the sort of the women's schedule on clay mm. and you don't get much sort of what I would call conventional clay court tournaments in the run-up to Roland Garros. So they get Stuttgart, which is indoors, so usually throws up non-clay court winners, if you like. Mm. Madrid's very similar, being at altitude. Rome is really the only kind of proper warm-up the women get whereas the men they get Monte Carlo they got Barcelona uh, as well I mean it's is it is there a chance that you know Goff could turn out in that I think Strasbourg's the week before Paris or there's another 250 as well I mean could that enter the equation because 
the way it seems to me is that the proper clay court players don't get much of an opportunity in the run up to Roland Garros. Yeah, it is. It is um, tricky, and that's um, you know scheduling comes down a lot of times to where the dollars are. Um, you know who's who's paying for those weeks and who wants to uh, to put on the event and who has the the ability to do that and the fans coming out and the sponsors behind them. So um, you know Stuttgart is it's interesting to have it indoors um, before uh, in in a road to Roland Garros kind of situation. You got an indoor event, Madrid. Um, has always been uh, a fun place for the players to play. It's a, it, um, and with the with a little bit of altitude and being quicker, though, it's always been that somewhat unique situation. So to put two of those in back to back for the women, it is kind of curious, um, and it is probably difficult for those straightforward clay court players. Um, I guess, like you said, you're gonna a lot of times get surprise winners in Stuttgart and surprise winners in Madrid. Um, and it's okay. I feel like it's good to have one of those, but when you got two back to back, I, I don't know. And you're right. The men's schedule seems much more, um, much more of a real path to Roland Garros when you got Monte Carlo, um, one of the biggest events of the year on a clay court, similar to it on a very straightforward, um, really good clay. No surprise that Rafa has dominated that one as well. And then Barcelona, the same. And then Madrid is the one outlier and, um, that's I feel like that's great. That's fun. You got uh you got one event that's and it's a combined event, which is which is great for both tours. Um, and then you go to Rome and you're right back into that path to Roland Garros. So I think that that does fit a lot better. Um, for the women, I don't know how they do it. I mean, for the men used to be Hamburg, which was which was a very difficult um lead up where it was so cold a lot of times. Um and it was just extremely heavy conditions. Um, so players were very happy to get to Rome after after <laughs> Hamburg. And so they they shifted it and they moved that um, to a different part of the year. Um, they moved Madrid in. And so it seemed like it was uh, it was a better fit. And so for the women, if there's a way to maybe move Stuttgart to a different time of the year um, and bring in an event like a Barcelona or uh, or somewhere else where it's a little more conventional, I think that would benefit the the clay court specialists or the 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 more straightforward clay quarters that want to have that build up to um to the french open as far as strasburg for um coco that's up to her i mean there's some players that love playing the week before uh, slam some players hate it and will never do it again and always want to just be practicing in a very controlled environment um for her i wouldn't um I wouldn't rule it out um, because she hasn't had such a good uh, clay court season and to to get more matches on clay, even if it's a matter of playing two or three matches. And then if you get to that point, you, you win two and you feel like, all right, now I'm ready. I can, you know, pull out and go. Not that, you know, you ever want to think that way going into an event, but if her body feels like she's ready for the French open and now she's got the confidence. Okay. You know, you know what your biggest focus is, isn't that? And that's uh, Roland Garros. Absolutely. And on the on the note of sort of these being Rome being a more conventional clay event, you've had Arena Sabalenka who reached the final in Stuttgart. I think she reached the final in Stuttgart. She won Madrid. Um, couldn't get past Sofia Kenin in Rome, and she's still a clear second favourite for Roland Garros. But I, I just don't think she's got a chance, has she? In in the French, yeah. never been past the third round. It's, yeah. It looks unlikely. It looks unlikely to win it, and but I I would still think that the main reason she's unlikely to win it is just Iga Sviantek because if you take her out of the equation, um, I do think she has a chance, and it's going to be interesting to see how Sviantek does 
um, these next couple of matches because she possibly faces some of those huge hitters that can be the ones that have that one unbelievable day where they could cause her problems by just absolutely hitting hitting her off the court and not giving her much chance. The Rabakina, um, she could possibly face Ostapenko, who um, I thought of as someone that could be dangerous going into this week um, and could be at the French Open, obviously, and um, never fun for anyone to play. And then, um, you know, there's a couple other big hitters on, or there's a big hitter on the other side in Kudermatova, who absolutely hits through the ball. So I think... Um, if Sviantek gets through those big hitters, it just elevates her being a favorite by even more so because that's those are the only ones that I think have a chance to beat her. And I still think it's an outside chance uh, at Roland Garros. For Sabalenka, I think her newfound confidence, her, her new um, uh, feeling of being a, a, a Grand Slam contender after winning Australia, I think that'll help her get deeper in the French Open this year. But I, I, I still think it's it's too big a hurdle to get over Sviantec. The way she's playing and the way she's able to defend against those big hitters um, on the clay courts, I think um, I think that's gonna be tough. But I, I know you're 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 skeptical of her, but I do think. I mean, I would I would take her to get to quarter semis um, and, and feel pretty confident. Um, but then Sviantec is just I think it's it's too much. So. We'll see. Yeah, I've got a short list for the French Open, and it is there's just one name on it at the moment. It's fiance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just can't see anyone beating her. I mean, she plays um, Yelena Rybakina later today, weather permitting. Yeah. I mean, do you think Nigel asked me this on Monday? I'm not sure I gave a great answer, so I'm going to throw it to you. Is she on track to be an all time great, or is her dominance, especially on clay, down to? Uh, maybe a lack of of high quality opposition. I mean, what what is, is it? Is she just great? Is she is she on that path? I think she's on that path. I think that path is um is not easy to to um to get through. You know, I, I think um with her talent, with her ability, I do think she can get to be an all time great. But I also think that there have been others that we've seen with talent that have not been able to navigate that path. And that's because it's not easy because there's um, there's distractions along the way. There's injuries along the way. There's other players that cause problems that are matchup uh, problems for you. There's um, confidence breaks. There's um, there's so many things that can go wrong. There's a, a, you know, a slight dip in confidence. And then do you shift your team and then your team comes, a new team comes in and they don't, uh, you know, jive well with you. And then there's, before you know it, a year or two has gone by and you've missed out on eight grand slam opportunities that you just had no chance in. And, you know, there's so many things that can happen, but I don't think it's a lack of competition. I mean, I do think I would have loved to see Ash Barty still playing and see their rivalry um, because it would have been different styles of play. It would have been fun to see on the different surfaces. Um, but I, I don't think there's still uh, a complete lack of talent. Rabakina is, is a, a tremendous talent. Sabalenka is a tremendous talent. Jabor is a great talent. Sakari is uh, extremely talented. They've got, it's not like she's playing against players that, that don't know how to win, that aren't playing, uh, that, that don't have huge upsides. She's just showing that she's uh, a step above or a level above uh, them right now. And I, I don't, that doesn't mean that in in a couple of years, there won't be a few others that are really pushing the envelope and 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 making her have to upper game more or, you know, taking over that mantle. But for right now, she's definitely on that path to uh, to greatness. Um, she just has to do it over a longer period of time because right now she's been she's been 
if you take her last two years, it matches up well with some of the all-time greats and how and how well she's done for two years. I mean, the first time getting to number one in the world, and she's already been there for uh, what is it like sixty weeks, sixty-two weeks. Uh, I mean, that's um, that's already you start talking about her streak last year. You talk about the number one in the world, how long she's been it for the first time, and all the people that she's um, in those conversations with are all-time greats. So you got to figure that early on in her career, she's on that same path. Um, but those then continued. The Navratilovas, the Serenas, the Chrissy Everts, the um, the Hinguses, they, they continued that path and continued being great. And for her, it's just to be seen if she if she's going to do that. I do think she will. I, I think she will on the on the clay, especially uh, the slower hard courts. Uh, it remains to be seen if she'll ever figure out Wimbledon and the grass and and the quicker surface. But I think the others, she's on a path. She's only twenty one. It's frightening. Yeah. <laughs> she's got yeah. time. She's got it is time. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's like I said. You can you can you know things can happen. You can throw out four grand slams, maybe eight. And if she had a, a hiccup for two years, she'd still be considered relatively young at twenty three uh, and have plenty of time to to have a lot of success. So um, sometimes we do forget. We talk tons about how young Carlos Alcaraz is, and she's only a year older. And um, it's pretty uh, pretty incredible what she's been able to do. It certainly is. Thank you very much, James, for all your thoughts. And uh, we'll speak to you again next week. Looking forward to breaking down some more of this clay court season ahead of, of Roland Garros. Absolutely. And um, yeah, that that's all for this week on Betting Weekly. Remember, there are four ways to follow us here. One is via the podcast provider of your choice. Then there's the Bet Rivers Network on YouTube and on Twitter, you can follow all our handicaps from a number of sports on at Because We Win. Nigel and Sean Calvert have been in Rome giving us updates from there and trying to avoid the rain. It's the same handle at Because We Win on Instagram as well. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, James, once again for uh, joining us this week. We'll speak to you again next Wednesday. Good luck if you're having a bet and join us again soon on Betting Weekly. Thanks for listening to Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network.